Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast. This episode deals with graphic content and may not be suitable for all listeners. 16-year-old Wayne Ford was looking forward to the May long weekend. It was the unofficial start to the summer after a long Canadian winter and the official countdown to the end of the school year. The grade 10 student at Earl Haig High School in North Toronto had already made plans to party with some friends. It was 1963 and Toronto's Yorkville neighborhood was the place to be. With its late-night coffee houses and smoky bars, kids from the sleepy suburbs flocked to the area. Wayne was a familiar face in some of the local establishments. At six foot three and over 200 pounds, the underage teenager had no problem passing for older and getting served alcohol. As he did on most days, Wayne went home for lunch on the Thursday before the start of the long weekend. Wayne lived with his mom, Minnie, at 21 Kingsdale Avenue in the middle-class suburb of Willowdale. Wayne was an only child and grew up in comfortable surroundings. Wayne's father, Lorne, owned a gas station on Young Street and was the president of the Toronto Businessmen's Association. The Fords had a cottage on Lake Kuchiching north of Toronto, spent vacations in Florida, and traveled to Europe in the summer. But Wayne's family life had changed dramatically in 1963 when his 52-year-old father suffered a fatal heart attack nine months earlier while they were in Florida. Now with his father gone, it was just Wayne and his mother, and they didn't always get along. Minnie was still in a deep depression over the sudden loss of her husband, and she had little control over her son, who had become even more unruly after his father's sudden death. As the May-long weekend approached, Wayne was hoping his mother would head up to their cottage so he could hang out with friends in the city. And like any typical teenage boy, Wayne wanted to borrow one of the family cars. But his mom said no, and for good reason. Her 1959 green Cadillac was just back from the repair shop after Wayne had smashed it up a couple of weeks earlier. 
After paying thousands to get it repaired, Minnie was not willing to hand over the keys again. Wayne insisted, saying he needed the car to take some friends to a drive-in movie. Still, Minnie refused, and the argument between the two escalated. Minnie said she was sick of his poor attitude and his punky behavior. She hated his long hair and hippie clothing. Go to hell, you old bitch, yelled Wayne. Minnie slapped Wayne in the face. Wayne, who towered over his petite mother, slapped her back. Minnie drew back in shock. Wayne had never touched his mother before. But it would be the first and the last time. A half hour later, Wayne was back at Earl Haig High School. He parked his mother's green Cadillac in the school parking lot and headed to his first class. I'm Catherine Fogarty, and in this podcast, I'm bringing you the true story of a woman's mysterious disappearance. The police in Toronto are baffled. She's a recent widow, and family say she would never leave her only son. But when her body finally surfaces, the disturbing truth behind her killing leaves a city in shock and a family devastated. This is Sins of the Sun, The Disappearance of Minnie Ford. Wayne Ford was a danger to society, beaten and strangled by Minnie Ford's honor-loved It was just after the Thanksgiving long weekend in the fall of 1966 when Julius Carew drove north to his cottage on Lake Kuchiching, a hundred kilometers northeast of Toronto. It was that time of year again, a time that signaled the end of summer. The leaves were putting on a glorious show of color. A blanket of frost glistened off the ground each morning and family cottages were closed up for the winter. Julius had a busy weekend ahead of him, but it was a small price to pay for his little piece of waterfront paradise. 1966 had been a particularly hot summer and a busy season on Lake Kuchiching, a popular boating and fishing lake. But the warmer weather had resulted in lower lake levels and some of the cottagers had even gotten their powerboats stuck in the silky lake bottom. The lower water levels also tended to wash up more garbage on shore. And on that October weekend, Julius Carew wasn't surprised to see remnants of a busy summer on the beach. Some beer bottles, pop cans, and even the odd flip-flop. But he was surprised when he caught sight of what looked like a mannequin caught in some reeds close to the shore. Maybe someone was playing a practical joke, he thought. Getting closer to the grayish floating object, he noticed one of its hands was missing, and there was something around its neck. It was a plastic bag. Then, moving closer, Julius suddenly realized it wasn't a store dummy. It was the body of a woman 
covered in some type of plaster or cement. Most of her face was missing, but he could see pieces of flesh and hair. As a long-time summer resident of the lake, Julius had heard about a few drownings over the years, but this bloated body looked like it had been in the water a long time. He wondered if it could be related to the famous missing persons case he had read about. Three years earlier in 1963, a wealthy Toronto widow who owned a cottage not far from his had gone missing. Her sudden disappearance was front page news and initial reports suggested she was last seen heading to Lake Kuchiching. The police had dredged the lake looking for her but came up empty. Now, it looked like the shallow murky waters had finally revealed their deadly secret. When news of the body discovered in Lake Kuchiching reached Toronto homicide detectives, they were certain of the woman's identity. 55-year-old Minnie Ford had disappeared sometime during the 1963 May long weekend. Police searched the cottage area and had even traveled to Fort Myers, Florida, where the Fords had a winter home. But Minnie Ford had simply disappeared without a trace. The plaster-coated body matched the age and description of Mrs. Ford, and divers later discovered parts of a plywood crate that the police believed had been Minnie Ford's waterlogged coffin. The box was coated in the same white substance that had been found on the body. Dr. Fred Jaffe, a Toronto pathologist, later confirmed that the woman had been likely beaten and strangled to death. And there was also a metal object embedded into her skull, which would eventually be identified as the sharp end of an ice pick. Most of the clothing was still on the body and the mysterious plaster coating had prevented decomposition. Only parts of the face and the left hand were missing. Minnie Ford's disappearance was the talk of Toronto in the spring of 1963. A middle-aged, recently widowed woman had vanished from her quiet suburban neighborhood. When newspapers reported that she had come into significant money after her husband's untimely death, rumors began to swirl that maybe she had taken off with a new man. But her concerned sister quickly put that gossip to rest, saying that Minnie loved her son far too much and would have never left him. Minnie had married later in life and struggled to get pregnant. So when her son Wayne was born, he was her miracle baby. Both parents doted on the boy and spoiled him. As for Minnie's now teenage son Wayne, at the time of her disappearance, he told the police his mother was supposed to meet him at their cottage on the Maylong weekend, but never arrived. He then suggested she may have gone to Florida without telling him. 
but as the police investigated her disappearance, they discovered that Minnie had not packed a suitcase or taken either of the family cars. Her bank accounts and credit cards remained unused, and she had not been in touch with any family members. It was Minnie's sister who reported her missing a week after she was last heard from. Wayne, the dutiful son, had somehow forgotten to mention it. From the get-go, Wayne didn't seem too concerned that his mother was missing. With Minnie gone, the 16-year-old had no rules and no restrictions. One week after her disappearance, Wayne quit school, and the Ford's neat suburban home soon became a party house for him and his friends. It wasn't long before Wayne was dealing drugs and selling stolen guns. He thrived on pushing boundaries. But then again, Wayne had always been a troubled kid, stealing candy and toys since the age of eight. His father would discipline him, but Wayne continued to steal and act out. Now, with no parental supervision, his rebellious teenage behavior was out of control. By the age of 18, two years after his mother's disappearance, Wayne joined a biker gang and was robbing banks just for the thrill of it. He then put his large size to use, becoming a hired thug, breaking one man's legs, stabbing another, and shooting someone all for money. He stopped short of a murder-for-hire plot. But Ford's reign of criminality was finally interrupted when he was charged with shooting another teenager during one of the parties at his house on Kingsdale Avenue. He spent three months in prison, but not long after his release, he was sent back to jail for possession of stolen goods. A year later, he moved to California for a fresh start, but was quickly deported. Back in Toronto, he resumed his criminal activities, but this time the police were keeping close tabs on him. In 1965, he was caught breaking into storage lockers and selling stolen goods. He was charged and convicted. This time he was sent to Ontario's Burwash Reformatory near Sudbury for a two-year sentence. But six months into his sentence, Wayne and another inmate escaped from the correctional facility and hitchhiked back to Toronto. Caught a few days later in a pool hall, an additional six months was added to his sentence. But he wasn't going back to Burwash. A sentence over two years meant federal prison time. And his new home was going to make Burwash look like a country club. While Wayne bounced in and out of jail, the investigation into his mother's disappearance had been ongoing. The police were sure that Minnie Ford had met with foul play, and they believed that Wayne knew more than what he was telling them. Wayne and two friends had been spotted partying at the Ford's cottage on Lake Kuchiching the long weekend Minnie disappeared, but no one had seen Mrs. Ford. 
But now, with her body washing up on shore close to the family cottage, the police were certain Wayne had killed his mother and then dumped her in the lake. An arrest warrant for Wayne was issued, and fortunately, the police knew exactly where to find the now 19-year-old. Wayne Ford was a resident of the notorious Kingston Penitentiary. One month after the discovery of Minnie Ford's body, Wayne Ford was charged with capital murder, meaning he was being accused of killing his mother in a planned and deliberate manner. If convicted, the teenager could face the death penalty. Investigators and Wayne's own lawyer suggested he plead guilty to manslaughter and serve his time. But the cocky young man was certain the cops had nothing that could tie him to the murder. Wayne didn't know that while he was in prison, investigators had returned to his former Willowdale home and found human blood in nine places, including the basement stairs. Wayne also didn't realize that two of his best friends had turned on him and had eventually talked to the police. And what they told investigators was probably going to put Wayne Ford away for a very long time. Wayne Ford's murder trial began on May 17, 1967, almost four years to the day after Minnie Ford's killing. The 120-seat courtroom filled up quickly and dozens of spectators stood outside. In Toronto, the sensational crime was front-page news. A handsome young son was accused of the brutal murder of his widowed mother. Typical teenage angst and rebellion was now being looked at in a very different light in suburban middle-class families across the city. How could something so awful have happened in such a normal family? On the opening day of the trial, Crown Counsel Lloyd Greyburn stated outright that he could not prove a capital murder case against Wayne Ford, meaning he could not prove the murder was planned and intentional. But he was sure that he could prove non-capital murder, which came with a life sentence. Greyburn then outlined his case to the all-male jury, saying Wayne Ford murdered his mother in May of 1963 in their Willowdale home after a heated argument, and then, with the help of two friends, dumped her body in Lake Kuchiching, hoping it would never be found. But when Minnie Ford's body surfaced three years later, close to the Ford's family cottage, Wayne's friends finally revealed the horrible secrets that they had been keeping. The first witness called by the prosecution was Ronald Wally, Wayne Ford's former best friend. As the young man began his testimony, those sitting in the packed courtroom listened intently to the ghastly details he was revealing about Minnie Ford's murder. Ronald Wally testified that on the afternoon of May 16th, he and Wayne were in class at Earl Haig Secondary School. After school, they drove to Wayne's house in Minnie's green Cadillac. 
In the car, Wayne told Ronald that he had killed his mother. Naturally, Ronald thought it was a joke at first. But Wayne assured him it wasn't. Then, according to Ronald, Wayne pulled out a gun from underneath the front seat of the car and told Ronald he needed to help him get rid of the body. Ronald agreed to help, fearing what Wayne might do to him if he refused. When they walked into the Ford's kitchen, Ronald said he saw a lifeless form underneath a bloodied bedsheet. Wayne pulled the sheet back to reveal his mother's body. Ronald told the jury that the woman had a grey patterned dress on, but he couldn't see the face because there was a blue plastic bag covering her head. The sight of the body made him sick and he threw up in the kitchen sink. Then, according to Ronald, Wayne told him they had to hide the body in the basement. The two teenagers dragged the body down the basement stairs. Thump. 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 As Minnie's head hit the wooden steps, leaving a trail of blood that had seeped out from under the plastic bag. Ronald threw up again in the laundry sink. Then they stuffed Minnie's body into a large plywood crate and tied the crate shut with an old garden hose. Then they proceeded to clean up the bloodstains on the stairs and in the kitchen. Wayne would later sand down and repaint the basement steps three times. The following night, Ronald Wally said they put the plywood crate into the trunk of the Cadillac and drove to the Ford's cottage on Lake Kuchiching. He testified that when they arrived at the cottage, Wayne suggested that they bury the box. They drove down a dark forested road and began digging, but the ground was too hard. They eventually gave up and drove back to the cottage. At the cottage, after a few hours of heavy drinking, Wayne described in sickening detail how he killed his mother. According to Ronald Wally, Wayne said he hit his mother over and over, but she wouldn't go down. He began strangling her, but she was still fighting for her life. He then grabbed an ice pick off the kitchen counter and stabbed her in the head. But when he tried to pull it out, the handle broke off. After Wayne talked about how he killed his mother, he asked Ronald Wally to remove the ice pick that was still embedded in his mother's head and to smash Minnie's teeth to make any future identification of the body difficult. Ronald told the hushed courtroom that Wayne handed him a steel rod for the job. Afraid to refuse Wayne's request, Ronald went out to the garage at the cottage where the body was stored. He opened the lid to the box but could not go through with it. Later he lied and told Wayne that he had done what he asked. The next witness was 19-year-old Larry Metcalf. He testified that he spent the 1963 May long weekend at the Ford family cottage with Wayne Ford and Ronald Wally. On the Saturday night, after he arrived and after a lot of drinking, Wayne confessed to him 
that he had murdered his mother and said her body was in the garage. Wayne then took him to the garage and opened a large wooden crate that contained Winnie Ford's bloodied corpse. Wayne told his friends that they needed to get rid of the body. The three drunken teenagers loaded the box onto a child's red wagon and pushed it down to the dock. Then they moved it onto the Ford's boat and rowed out to the middle of the lake where they attempted to dump the crate overboard. But the box was so heavy it ended up breaking part of the rowboat and all three teenagers ended up in the lake. They finally tied an anchor to the box and managed to sink it. Then they went back to the cottage to party. Metcalf said that Wayne swore them to secrecy and threatened to hurt them if they ever said anything. Over the next few days of the trial, several other witnesses testified how Wayne often joked about killing his mother and was giving away her clothing and jewelry to girlfriends not long after she disappeared. Two psychiatrists also testified and both said that they would describe Wayne as an aggressive type of psychopath inclined towards outbursts of extreme anger or hostility. According to the medical professionals, Wayne was highly intelligent but lacked any sense of responsibility and was unable to experience guilt or remorse. He had a low regard for the rules of society and was preoccupied with his own wants and needs. In their professional opinions, Wayne Ford was a danger to society, would be difficult to rehabilitate, and should be locked up indefinitely. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It was a full courtroom on May 26, 1967, when defense attorney Donald Creighton called his final witness. Flanked by two police officers, Wayne Ford took the witness stand. At six foot three, the handsome, clean-shaven young man looked more like a movie star than a criminal accused of brutally murdering his own mother. Under oath, Wayne admitted to killing Minnie Ford, but claimed it was self-defense. Yes, he and his mother were fighting over the car that weekend in May but then things just got out of hand. She slapped him and he slapped her back. Then, according to Wayne, his mother picked up an ice pick from the kitchen counter and came at him. Wayne said he backed away and ran to his bedroom where he grabbed the first thing he saw to defend himself, a miniature bat his father had given him. His mother followed him into the bedroom swinging the ice pick. Wayne said he ran back into the kitchen, trying to get away, but his mother caught up to him and slashed his arm. Wayne said he didn't remember swinging the bat, but the next thing he knew, his mother was on the floor, dead. Wayne testified that after he killed his mother, he put a plastic bag over her head and covered her body with a bedsheet. Then, He changed out of his bloodied clothing and drove back to school in his mother's Cadillac. Later, he asked his friend Ronald Wally to help him move the body to the basement, where they put it in a plywood crate. Then they cleaned up the blood. That night, they went out drinking and to a drive-in movie. Wayne denied telling either of his friends that he had stabbed his mother in the head with an ice pick and he denied threatening his friends to stay quiet. Under cross-examination, Crown Attorney Lloyd Grayburn challenged Wayne's story of self-defense. Grayburn reminded Wayne that he never told anyone, including his friends that helped to dispose of his mother's body, that Minnie had attacked him with an ice pick. You are six foot three, 220 pounds, your mother was five foot five and 140 pounds, the prosecutor said. If that were true, 
If she came at you with an ice pick, you could have just grabbed it. I'm no judo expert, Wayne responded, as laughter broke out in the courtroom. In his closing arguments, defense attorney Donald Creighton urged the jury to acquit Wayne Ford on the belief that he was simply defending himself against his ice-pick-wielding mother. But if they rejected the self-defense argument, the lawyer said they should return with a verdict of manslaughter. Wayne did not intend to kill his mother, said the lawyer. He simply lost control. Referring to Ronald Wally and Larry Metcalf, Wayne's former friends, who admitted to helping dispose of Winnie Ford's corpse, the attorney called them self-serving liars. He added that their testimony was so motivated by self-interest that their testimony was worthless. They embellished everything to save their own skins, said Ford's lawyer. Crown counsel Lloyd Grayburn told the jurors that the evidence during the nine-day trial proved that Wayne killed his mother and then tried to cover up his crime by disposing of her in the lake. But if they believed Wayne's story of self-defense, they should question why Wayne did not simply leave the house when his mother threatened him with the ice pick. He claimed that he had done so on previous occasions when his mother attacked him with a frying pan and a rolling pin. Grayburn then reminded the jury that Wayne's friends who testified against him said that Wayne told them he had killed his mother following her refusal to let him take the car. Wayne had also told his friends that he beat his mother repeatedly before strangling her and stabbing her in the head with the ice pick. Grayburn concluded that the evidence presented justified a verdict of guilty on non-capital murder. Seven hours later, the jury returned and announced their verdict. Wayne Ford was found guilty of non-capital murder. He was promptly sentenced to life in prison and was returned to Kingston Penitentiary. Inmate number 2778 was already familiar with Canada's oldest prison. Having served time for burglary and a previous prison escape, but this time he would be staying much longer behind those same foreboding limestone walls. Faced with years behind bars, Wayne Ford finally decided he needed to go straight. He would do his time however long that would be, and then once he got out, he would make sure he never went to prison again. Wayne quickly adapted, taking classes to finish his high school degree and working at various jobs in the prison. He kept his head down and stayed out of trouble. But the day-to-day -day familiar routine of the archaic prison was violently upended when on April 14, 1971, six inmates initiated a riot and kidnapped six unsuspecting guards. Wayne and over 500 other inmates suddenly found themselves part of a deadly siege as prisoners ran wild 
destroying everything they could inside the walls of the prison. No one was safe, and vulnerable inmates were soon rounded up and beaten. But at six foot three and 285 pounds, Wayne Ford was a respected con, and others knew better than to challenge him. Realizing the kidnapped guards were the prisoners' only insurance against an all-out military assault, Wayne armed himself with a three-foot length of lead pipe and moved the guards to a safe place in the prison. For the next four days, Wayne and several other prisoners protected the terrified guards against other inmates who were out for blood. When the riot was finally quelled, all six guards were released unharmed. The infamous prison was destroyed and two inmates were dead, having been tortured along with a dozen others. Ford's leadership role in the riot was never formally recognized by prison authorities, but his actions along with those of a few others likely saved the lives of the guards. After the Kingston Pen riot, Wayne Ford was transferred to Millhaven Institution to serve out the remainder of his sentence. He was paroled in 1975 after serving eight years, and he began working with a prison outreach program to assist other inmates serving life sentences. Wayne never forgot what the psychiatrist had said at his trial, labeling him a danger to society. But he knew if he could turn his life around, so too could others. Wayne became a much sought after speaker for prison groups, including young offenders. At 16, he had done the unthinkable. But if he could save other kids from a lifetime of crime and imprisonment, he was willing to share his story. In a 2013 interview for the Toronto Star, Wayne said he loved his mother and still maintained that her death was an accident. Today, Wayne lives a quiet life in Western Canada. This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast, written and produced by Catherine Fogarty. Audio production is by Daniel Borgers at Borgers Music. Visit us at storyhunterpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter to get more information and updates about new podcasts. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you enjoyed this story and others, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app and feel free to leave us a review. We appreciate you listening. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.